0: 72. I'm John McGregor here with Daniel Shaw. Hi, Daniel. Hey, John. How you doing today? Very good. Uh, Daniel has over 15 years experience as a U.S. infantryman. I have over 20 years experience as a law enforcement officer. Combined, we have about 30 years of experience as firearms instructors and 32 years of experience with concealed or off-duty carry. Purpose of this show is to discuss firearms equipment and training as it relates to self defense from a military, law enforcement, and civilian perspective. Welcome, Daniel.
1: All right, what are we gonna talk about today, John?
0: We're gonna start the show with the usual announcements. Then uh, I think we're gonna go into talking about some single hand pistol manipulations, and finally we'll wrap things up with emails.
1: Sounds good. Okay. First of all, we uh, got to mention our sponsor and thank them, and as well as uh, tell you guys to go there and buy belts or whatever else you want to buy there at AriesGear.com. Aries Gear Core Competency is awesome belts that we talk about all the time. Posted a picture of one and where you can go get it on Facebook. Uh, you've seen them on things that John and I have done, and of course the pictures with my wife wearing hers. But just wanted to let you know that Aries Gear also sells a lot more than just a belt. If you're not in the market for a belt, they probably have something on the website that you are in the market for. By all means, go there and check it out. See what all they got going on there at AriesGear.com. And whenever you buy something, let them know who sent you. And that helps us out and gets you a good product.
0: Now, Daniel, you said that uh, something caught your eye on the Aries Gear website. What what was it you were telling me
1: about? Oh uh, Well, they, they sell Spartan blades, if you're familiar with that. Made in the USA. I've never had one before uh, or used it, but I've read a lot of great things about them. And they're awesome-looking knives. I've been kind of eyeballing that CQB tool. And if you like, you can buy me one, John. I, that's why I was asking, because
0: the holidays are approaching, really.
1: Oh, okay. It's only
0: 160 bucks. Oh, I'll take three
1: then. All right, good. Now, go to Aries Gear. A lot more than just belts. But if you do need a belt, it'll be the last one you ever buy. Until you buy other colors that you want. Uh, also, still got to send you to Freedom's Network. Uh, we are a member of Blanchard Media Group, and within the Blanchard Media Group, we have the Freedom's Network. It's just a place where a lot of like-minded folks we get together and talk. Get on there; it's like a mini Facebook kind of thing. So, by all means, we'd like for you to come join us over at Freedom's Network and join the Gunfighter Crass Group, and leave us some feedback and ask questions, and uh, you know, go check out the other shows and other people that are that are have groups going there on the Freedom's Network.
0: All right, anything else before we jump into our segment?
1: No, let's jump in ahead first with only one hand.
0: All right. What we're going to talk about is single-hand pistol manipulation. I've got uh, some level of training in that. Uh, Daniel, do you do much with single-hand pistol manipulation?
1: You know, as far as Marine Corps curriculum, no. But Daniel Shaw curriculum, yes. I uh, basically subscribe to some different schools of thought on one-hand manipulations and... I've tried a, quite a few different methods and found what I like, and uh, I'm kind of hoping they're different than what you like. We haven't discussed this.
0: No, this will be a surprise. Yeah, one of the things that uh, I think is maybe somewhat more common than it should be is recognize, you know, most people recognize the need to fire one handed, and, you know, they'll practice their dominant hand and they'll practice their support hand and stuff. But uh, a lot of the training seems to be focused on the actual act of shooting with one hand and sometimes the how the pistol gets in that one hand it might not be all that uh, realistic or if uh, a malfunction occurs or it's time to reload suddenly both hands are working again to fix it and then go back to shooting you know one-handed which you know if you got both hands to do your manipulations you may want to be shooting with two hands so uh, i'm just going to focus on some uh, some other techniques besides the actual Single-handed shooting. Kind of deal with all those other things we need to be able to do besides the shooting. Yep, I like it. All right, so I guess the first thing that uh, we're going to have to do is access the pistol. So with a, if we're talking, you know, dominant hand only shooting, there's really not a whole lot of change as far as that goes. Hopefully you've had the pistol set up to be easily accessed on your dominant side, so that's not a problem. Uh, makes it a little more challenging if your dominant hand ends up getting... Basically, taken out of the game before you get the pistol out of the holster, and so you know techniques are going to vary dependent on uh, you know where you're storing the pistol and somewhat your body type as well because some of us, you know, depending on where we have the pistol, uh, say it's in like a straight three o'clock position for a right-handed shooter, going across the front is probably going to be the way you're going to manipulate the pistol, and typically what I'll do in those circumstances is. Uh, most of the time if I'm carrying at 3 o'clock, it's some kind of duty gear, so I've got some retention to deal with. We run Safariland ALS, so it's a little little bit complicated in that I've got to reach over with my left hand, I've got to push down and pull that hood forward, and then I've got to pull, uh, it's actually with my thumb, I'd be pushing the ALS back as I get the pistol to start coming up out of the holster. Then once I get the pistol to start coming up out of the holster, I've kind of got it in a reverse grip. I've got to try and pull it up enough out of the holster, not completely, but enough so that I can start to rotate the pistol around, get the grip in the front portion, and kind of adjust my grip so that I can turn into almost a cross-draw type of uh, drawing technique with the normal orientation on the grip and come up on target that way. The other option is, you know, if you're carrying... Uh, like I'll typically do concealed more at uh, kind of behind the hip and if your body type allows since I can't reach the pistol if I go across the front but I've got enough flexibility that I can kind of go around the back and actually pick up the grip that way in the normal orientation and then it turns into just kind of a you know some kind of a small the back type draw where you just come around the body come up on target that way. So is that um you guys do anything different? Well, you're probably carrying in different locations too, right?
1: You know, typically I carry on my uh, my thigh mm-hmm. with my Safari Land holster. I've recently trying to get away from that and put it on the right side of my cumberbund. at somewhere around say two thirty. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of changing a little bit of that. Where I could be, I could get it using that same technique and actually be a little bit easier because it's not quite at three o'clock. A little bit easier to reach, but I do have to get around body armor. Yeah. You know, civilian carrying, I carry somewhere around four o'clock. Mm-hmm. and maybe 4.30-ish. Yeah, using the technique you just talked about, you know, with my, if I have to use my left hand because I'm a right-handed shooter, I could, with no trouble, reach right around there and grab that thing and get a very good grip. Uh, a lot better, a lot easier than if it was at 3 o'clock and I had to reach across the front of my body and have to, you know, twist my hand around and do something really awkward to get a good firing grip.
0: Yeah, it is uh, definitely kind of awkward trying to get the uh, the pistol kind of pivoted around to where you can get a full hand full-hand grip on it. The other, one of the... You know we've talked about it before, but this is you know one place where you know an appendix carry has a particular advantage because it is a a little bit easier to get to if you're going to come around the front of the body. Everything's kind of right there in front of you. You know, absent any other special type of holsters, I mean, and probably talking primarily your your more your most normal primary mounting locations. I mean, you can uh, get into you know ankles and and all this other stuff that might not work uh, in the same manner, but you know, you can kind of figure that stuff out for yourself. Ankles are pretty good. It's it's not that much more different to uh, to access with either hand for that. But
1: And we, we liked our backup gun episode we talked about uh, having a backup gun in other locations where you could access it easily with that. Usually your non-firing hand that just became your primary firing hand. Uh, having something in the ankle, I'm not a fan of ankle for primary, carry position for your primary pistol. But if you have a backup, you know, it's not a bad location at all. Mm-hmm. And that's,
0: yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because if you've got, you know, your your primary and a security holster, some outside the waistband at three o'clock where it's going to be a long reach for you, doing the front of the body draw, that's assuming that you didn't set yourself up with a, you know, some type of backup gun on your support side. Because if you've got, you know, maybe a pocket carry or, or just something else on your support side as a backup gun, it might be, you know, skip the complicated draw and just go to your, uh, your backup. Yep. But, uh,
1: yeah. Well, drawing with the firing hand, your usual firing hand, that one's pretty straightforward, mm-hmm. same as usual. We're just not establishing a two-handed grip because we don't have a second hand. Say we shoot about 15 rounds, what do we do next?
0: Well, yeah, that's going to be your your issue there is with your magazine capacity. Eventually, if, if you don't get the job done in the first magazine, you're going to have to do some type of reload. So,
1: I think it's important to, to note, since we're talking about this, this is where some of your double-stack magazines and double-stack pistols that have a higher capacity, not high capacity, standard capacity for those weapons, magazines, so you don't have to do those reloads one-handed. And I, I think if you have thought ahead that you may have to fight one-handed and you practice firing one-handed, then you've probably thought about having a reload. So having a pistol that only holds eight rounds or seven rounds is probably not as beneficial as the one holding 15 to 18.
0: Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is you hate forty five, basically.
1: No, I had a Glock 21 for a while. It held quite a few rounds, nah, just, especially with my plus two extensions. I was trying
0: to throw you under the bus.
1: But, yeah, that's certainly a, certainly
0: a consideration if you're going mean, to – and, you know, we're talking, you know, best case scenario that, you know, that's an option for you. You know, some people don't have the option. They, uh, you know, my side of the, the fence there, law enforcement, you know, there's a lot of places where you don't really get a say in what you carry. Department issues you something and and that's what you have. So if you get a, you know, single stack 45, then, you know, it's just a a reality that you're going to have to reload before somebody else. Might be that your preferred carry gun, the, you know, the way you have to carry concealed, you know, maybe your, your body type or what you've got to wear doesn't allow for or doesn't make it as easy with a double stacked and you've got some kind of single stack nine millimeter that works for you or, you know, whatever the caliber may be. You know,
1: yeah, don't 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 hate me. Yeah. I was just point, pointing out the advantages of uh, having something that holds a lot of bullets. Yeah.
0: And if you're going to hate somebody again, it was Daniel who said he didn't like 45s. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to generate all some right. feedback there, Daniel.
1: Nah, it's all good. It's all good.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we've uh, basically come to a reload. Um, depending on you know your training and so forth, I've if I'm doing a normal reload, for example, uh, I don't eject the magazine until I've got the. The fresh one, kind of ready to go. It's already in my hand. It's already coming up to the pistol. They kind of, uh, one kind of comes out the mag well just before the other goes in.
1: But The idea of pass and flight. Yes,
0: exactly. Good term. But the problem is if you've only got one hand, you're not going to have that hand to hit the magazine release at that you know optimum time. So, you know, one thing that's going to change with your single-handed reloads is... is You know, as soon as it's time to do a reload, the slide's locked to the rear. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to dump the magazine. Because if I forget, it's going to get in the way later. So I dump the magazine a little bit earlier, and I've got to find some place to put the pistol. If if your dominant hand's still working, then your holster, depending on what kind of holster you're running, uh, will sometimes make a pretty good place to put it. You can just basically holster it up. Otherwise, if it's on your other side... um, Maybe a, a front pocket or a waistband, something like that. Some place to secure the pistol and have the magwell accessible. Then next step is just to access your magazine with whatever hand you still got working. Insert it into the magwell. And then uh, it's just a question of bringing your working parts forward. And you can come back up on target. But I guess the question is, how do you bring your working parts forward? What do you do, Daniel?
1: Well, I'll back up just a little bit. If... I'm using my firing hand and I'm not carrying inside the waistband at 4.30 as usual mm-hmm. and basically using my crossbreed super tuck and I am running, you know, a safari land or my outside the waistband holster that I use as a safari land ALS. I'm going back to the holster in that, that safari land outside the waistband. I'm going to have trouble going back to the holster in my crossbreed to reload and not to mention where I carry it moves my magazine well a long ways behind me and it's, it gets a, quite a bit more complicated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then in if I'm outside the waistband, then uh, pretty easy reload. Drop magazine, go straight back to the holster. I am used to drawing my, from my holster. I'm not used to drawing from my pocket or my pinching between my knees. Or uh, I've seen some people use a method where they take a knee and tuck the pistol behind mm-hmm. the bend in the knee. But I'm, I'm much more comfortable and much more accustomed. and I've got thousands of repetitions of drawing from my holster. So I like to go straight back to the holster. Uh, after I drop that mag, and just throw a new magazine in there. This is where it's important to have your magazines placed in a place where you can get to them. If they're in my left hip pocket, then I'm going to have a hard time getting to them. If I've got them somewhere, appendix area, in front of me a little bit, now I can easily access them with both hands, with no trouble, Mm -hmm. and for my reloads. So I throw a new magazine in, and uh, establish my firing grip again, as I would normally draw a pistol. And if I was at slide lock, and depending on what pistol I'm using, I'm going to use the slide release. If uh, I don't have that option, if I didn't get slide lock, or uh, say I'm uh, using a Glock or something where I don't normally like to use the slide release, I would uh, have a good rear sight on that gun, because I've planned ahead for this, to where I catch it on a piece of my gear. My Aries gear belt is very stiff and perfect for doing that. The side of your holster will work. A pocket, uh, a lot of things could end up tearing your pocket, so that's probably the least preferred. A good hard, stiff surface would be the best place to put it. You know, Jake says stiffer's better. That's why it makes stiff every two other belts. Those are basically what I'm looking at or what I practice for.
0: Yeah, I do um kind of goes back to the way I train two handed is I don't use a uh, slide catch lever for my reloads. You know, there's nothing wrong with it if you do. You know, a lot of people do. They're you know they're very fast or whatever, but You know, the reason I don't is I like having a more universal technique because I've got more than one gun. So if I'm shooting my 1911, insert the magazine, rack the slide to complete my reload. If I've got my 229, same thing, insert the magazine, rack the slide. If, you know, for whatever reason I needed to shoot your Glock, same thing, Uh, same technique's going to work. I'm not going to have to fumble around for to find out where that control is. Now if you're somebody that runs just one gun as you should be, then slide catch lever, you know, might be quicker. But uh so single handed, I I don't go slide catch lever. I always uh find something to rack the slide on. Both because that's the way I do my reloads, but also for somewhat commonality of training, when you know we move into our next uh our next area doing clear and malfunctions, slide catch lever's not gonna work. So you know, whenever I need to bring the slide forward or manipulate the slide, I do it the same way every time I, I run it off the rear sight. Uh, and like you said, making sure that I've got a pistol set up that's got a good rear sight to do that with.
1: And that's something that I'm looking at, at changing for myself. You know, I'm, I'm forced to use the Beretta M9. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've talked about it many times before. I actually own one. And when I have it, I find that it's I can reload very quickly and consistently, even under stress with that Beretta. That big slide release is on that. My problem is with my grip. I very rarely get slide locks, mm-hmm. so I end up, you know, using an overhand method uh, or something to actually rack the slide to let it go whenever I'm, you know, reloading. And that usually happens even without loading. What I would like to do, because when I shoot the Glock or you know some other things that I have, I would uh, I'll go, I'll use, I'll rack the slide. So that's something that I. And for you, that's an excellent point. The commonality between all pistols. We've talked before about battlefield pickups. Security officer goes down, and he's got a weapon, and you might want to take it to stop the active shooter. To having that commonality of training, maybe this thing doesn't have a slide le- release that you're used to hitting. Maybe you're used to firing something like a Beretta or a 1911 that has a, with an extended slide release, and now you're picking up a Glock that doesn't have the extended slide release. And even the extended slide release on a Glock isn't very extended. Mm-hmm. You might want to have that commonality of training, because the way you're talking about always works, no matter what gun you have. Yeah. And part of it
0: too, I mean, why I do what I do, um, I'm pretty obviously focused on the SIGs. So, you know, SIGs got that slide catch lever that's kind of far, the rearmost control. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't put any type of extended slide release on a, a defense gun anyway. So maybe that's why I do the way I do because uh, it's not quite as easy to to get your thumb on is, you know, something like your, your 1911s or your Berettas where it's kind of more forward and a little bit bigger piece of metal. Yep. So the, uh, that's, I mean, I think we've got, uh, you know, a couple methods to, uh, to do our reloads. Again, it's going to depend on what side of the body, you know, what hand it is you've got available to you. But besides the, you know, the act of drawing, the act of shooting, the act of reloading, we want to anticipate the need to clear a malfunction and how we're going to do that with our just one hand. So, you know, it's not really rocket science because, you know, most of, most of our listeners, uh, you know, sound like they're shooters anyway. So most of them, I'm sure, are familiar with a tap and rack. Basically, the issues that you might be having might be a failure to feed in which the magazine's not fully seated, you know, failure to fire where it's a bad round inside the chamber. You know, those are probably going to be the most common malfunctions. So most common way to fix them without overthinking it is to just tap and rack. And, you know, I'll use, uh, tap the magazine floor plate on either side of my thigh, front of my thigh. If I've got, uh, depending on the gear I have, maybe bounce it off the gear too. If it's a, you know, a good robust holster or mag pouch, depending on what side of my body it's on.
1: And if you have the dexterity to do it, you could use the knee method off the top of the knee. Don't want to bang an edge into your knee because now your leg doesn't work very well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's going to also, it's going to depend on your uh, pistol as well. I mean, if you've got a, a flush fit magazine, you know, you might want something like uh, like the knee where you can kind of more focus the uh, the pressure, something mm-hmm. with a, uh, you know, a longer, type of floor plate that kind of sticks out the bottom of the magwell. You know, I've found that, uh, you know, thigh, even though it's not it's not as hard as a knee bone, you know, you're going to get enough resistance to seat your magazine. So once you've uh, tapped the magazine on something, it's uh, just a question now, racking the action to either chamber round or get that bad round out of the chamber. And we kind of already talked about it a little bit with our reloads is, you know, getting that rear sight on something that you can fully manipulate the slide. Uh, one of the things I don't think we, we really talked about too much during the reloads though is, you know, when you're manipulating that rear sight, uh, you want to make sure, uh, if at all possible, that the ejection port is clear of your body. Uh, I like to angle it out a little bit because, you know, with a reload, not such a big deal, but clearing a malfunction, if there is a bad round in the chamber, you want some place for it to go. If you've got it right up against your leg, then, You know, sometimes what will happen is that round will try and get out, and basically you're covering the ejection port, it can't get out, and you end up setting up uh, a second malfunction, and usually worse than the first one, to try and deal with. So, whether I'm doing my reloads or my uh, malfunction clearance, I always try and angle, uh, grab the sight on something, but angle the ejection port away from the body so that... uh, it's not clear i'm not going to get clothing stuck in it and i'm not going to bounce a bad round back into it and like i said before if you're you know you can run your slide catch levers on your reloads but when you go to do your malfunction slide catch levers aren't going to do anything for you so good to manipulate the pistol in my opinion you know always racking it off something
1: yeah and it, like everything else we talk about you know a lot of this stuff's planning ahead proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance that's the uh the saying right mm. so whenever you're selecting that rear sight for that gun, whatever sights you're, you're planning on going with, that would be one of the things that I would look at is a lot of these sights can be caught on things pretty well and work okay. My wife's Glock 19 has uh, Meprolite sights on it, and they're pretty decent for this. It doesn't have a very flat surface to catch on stuff, but you can still catch it on stuff without much issue on the range. Now, if I'm in pain and uh, I'm under extreme stress, I might have a little bit of a time. I'd like to have something a little bit more prominent on that rear sight some little flat surface, or maybe even a curved surface, uh, to catch it on something that is actually designed for that in case it happens to you. And uh, it just so happens there is such a site out there.
0: Or at least a, a site that will be out there because it's not technically out till November 1st. But uh, Rob Pincus uh, was posting recently about a, a site that he's got in development called the Claw Emergency Manipulation Rear Site. And like uh, Daniel was talking about, the front of the surface instead of being flat or even you know slanted slanted backwards it 's actually got a, a little curve to it curve forward to help uh, the rear sight to to grip on to gear or also like he mentions in the video that 's on his site uh, if you need to manipulate the rear sight off you know whatever your environment is if you 're taking cover behind something maybe there's something in front of you you can kind of hook that onto so we haven 't uh, Obviously, the, it's not out yet. We haven't got a chance to get our hands on one yet, but it looks like a really good concept. The website is at dot uh, com. I'm sure Daniel knows how to get that into the show notes because I'm not that savvy.
1: Yeah, we'll also put it on Facebook, too, so look forward on the Gunfighter Cast Facebook page. Ooh, excellent. We'll give you... A little bit more in-depth review of these later on for now. Uh, something that uh, I definitely want to check out. Yeah. And why don't you guys go buy one and let me know and John know how it works for you.
0: Yeah, it looks like he's, um, it looks like Ameriglo is the one that's going to be making them. Uh, looks, you know, based on what we've seen already, looks like a real good, uh, real good product. Real good addition to your concealed carry gear. Yep. And it's uh you know one one of the things that you had kind of reminded me about when you were talking about your your wife's got a Glock. I I don't have a Glock right now. I used to have one, but uh if I recall right, a standard Glock does it still come with a plastic rear sight if it doesn't have night sights? Yes,
1: and plastic front sight. So I mean those
0: are going to be even if you can't go
1: Well, I hate the Glock rear sight. The first thing I do with a Glock, if I if I buy a new Glock, um I don't take it out of the store without having a new rear sight on it. Yeah. It's just, I, I hate the Glock sights. I hate the U-shape. It's first thing I do is replace that rear sight. Whatever
0: the manufacturer is, I don't know that I'd want to be doing, uh, trusting my life on, you know, racking the slide off the rear sight on a, on a plastic sight. So I'm sure it's not just Glock. The, yep. I'm sure there's other ones out there that come stock. It's kind of another bonus of at least upgrading to some kind, of, uh, uh, some kind of metal rear sight.
1: Yeah, and there's other things you can do. A little grip tape across the top of the slide. Uh, it might help you out with those reloads even with two hands. Uh could also help uh, get caught a little bit more friction on whatever clothing or piece of gear that you're rubbing that gun against trying to get that slide back.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I've got my 1911s got those, um, it's either Novak or Novak style where it's just that, that kind of aerodynamic sweeping forward. There's really nothing to grab onto gear with. So kind of as a stopgap measure before uh, replacing the rear sight, I've got a little grip tape on the back to try and grab something. But, you know, you end up, it's it's going to get to your ejection port closer to your body if you have to run off of uh, grip tape. So there is a compl- possible complication.
1: Talked about drawing, pretty straightforward there. Reloads and clearing stoppages. Now, if you don't have the the holster, say you've got to actually, well, what do you do if you get something like a like a half feed or a double feed? You know, I hate to call it double feed because normally it's not quite double feed Mm -hmm. most of the time, Yeah, where normally there's a lot of different ways we could clear these things by just turning the weapon on its side, racking the slide to the rear, Mm -hmm. uh, and then letting it go. What are we going to do for something like that with with one hand? Conduct a reload?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's um, most of your issues if you can't, uh, if a tap and rack doesn't fix it, generally your next step is to reload the pistol. You know, what's going to make it complicated is, you know, if you've got a double feed or it's on its way to a double feed is that top round has already kind of started going forward in your magazine. So just pressing your magazine release isn't going to get your yep. magazine out. So uh, depending on, you know, what kind of pistol you're running, you know, and this, you know, kind of an equipment thing, but um, ideally you've got some kind of uh, pistol that's got a, a floor plate that comes out enough that you can hook it onto a piece of gear. You know, like my you know, my 229 mags, for example, have that kind of little, Extension at the end that you know your pinky rests on. I can hook that on a piece of gear. I mean, otherwise you're, Mm -hmm. you know, otherwise you may end up doing if you have to do it one handed. You may have to lock your slide to the rear, and that's going to be real complicated if uh, the weapon happens to be in your uh, non-dominant side.
1: Yep, just some things to think about. I mentioned it, you know, briefly. The pinching between the legs or between the knees, if you need to manipulate something, turn the gun over and you know reload, then rack it on a piece of gear be mindful if you do use the behind the knee probably not my favorite way of doing it but uh, I've seen it done that way where you actually take a knee and put it in the bend of your knee and that's way it's how you're holding it in place and then uh you know conduct the reload but if if you just be mindful of your muzzle cuz it's very easy to sweep your leg uh you're doing things one-handed you're not used to doing things one-handed and now you're doing something it could easily become unsafe. Just wanted to throw that out there since we mentioned that behind the knee thing earlier. Mm-hmm. There is great potential there to, to sweep your body. Probably not the most preferred method. And if you do it, be very careful and dry.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, that being said, are we suggesting you go out and load up with uh, real ammo and try this out for the first time? No.
1: <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah,
0: definitely. One of the cheapest training investments I found where you get a lot of bang for your buck is just to get some, some good dummy rounds, you know, the kind with uh, some type of metal shell casing and fake projectile. And it allows you to practice all these manipulations and taps and racks. And, you know, it's it's one thing to, you know, practice manipulating the slide, no training round in it. And it looks like it's working well, but, you know, what you might find is when you're practicing your malfunction clearance, again, if you don't have that clear ejection port, you know, with the dummy rounds, you're going to have something that's going to try and work itself out. And if it doesn't work itself out, it's going to create a bigger problem potentially. So good way to check that.
1: Another thing, uh, safety concern to think about, big reason to do this dry first. I've seen many students when they're going to rack the slide one-handed, they've got their rear sight called on their belt or some piece of gear and they're racking it. And because this is an awkward action, something that they're not used to doing on a regular basis, the tendency that I'm seeing them have is they're squeezing the pistol tighter and they're trying to slam it down, which is what you should do, but just be mindful of your sympathetic muscle groups and how that trigger finger is going to want to squeeze as well. So having that right across the trigger on the trigger guard is not where you want to have it. You want to have that trigger high on the frame or the slide. So when you do get that sympathetic muscle group there of the action of squeezing all your fingers and pressing down, you're not popping off around because as soon as it gets you know the slide goes forward again because I've seen it happen and it's not a good thing especially if there's someone next to you or you've had it angled down too much and your legs there or foot's there
0: trigger finger up on the frame is it's always my preferred position i mean i see a lot of people that have the finger extended to the front of the trigger guard and you know technically the the finger is off the trigger but like you said you have some type of sympathetic reflex or startle reflex when the uh, when the hand tightens up, you know it's the most times the uh, the trigger finger is just going to basically pop off the front of the trigger guard and into the trigger uh, onto the trigger.
1: So, yep, firm believer on the frame, not to, not across the trigger. Excellent. So uh, I think we've uh,
0: pretty much talked this one into the ground. Why don't we come right back with our next uh, exciting segment?
1: All right, let's do it. No breaks. Let's just roll. All right. All right. Here we are. Yeah, welcome back
0: Welcome back, that was a long break Hopefully you didn't go to the refrigerator or something Because we're jumping right back into it A uh, couple emails that we're going to talk about uh, First one, not going to read the whole email But uh, this one came from Mitch And uh, it was in regards to our uh, We were talking about ballistic protection And he wanted to share a website with us uh, It's uh, bulletblocker.com www.bulletblocker.com Um and what he was talking about was, you know, having, I guess he's got some school-age kids. Um, they have on the site backpacks that have some type of ballistic protection in them. And uh, we took a quick peek of the website. They've got, uh, you know, all kinds of things from you know, your standard ballistic vests to, uh, you know, briefcases that turn into body bunkers and backpacks and all kinds of good stuff. So uh, if you're looking for options with ballistic protection, uh, that'd be a good place to incorporate into your search
1: yeah some kind of uh, unconventional items on there that are some really good ideas
0: and mitch also talks about how uh with his with his kid's backpack besides the the ballistic backpack he's got a flashlight uh bottled water basic first aid kit in his bag all the time so sounds like mitch is uh teaching his children uh good preparation skills so good yep,
1: on you doing it right thanks for that email mitch And uh, we also have one from Brett, our winner of the 20% discount. Not only was he happy to win the 20% discount, he was like, hey, thanks for the discount, but uh, I also want more from you. Here's a question. Give me the answer. I'll read this and ask John because that's what he wanted me to do. Uh, Love the episodes on home defense. Lots of practical information. Some of it had crossed my mind and some had not. I'd like to hear John discuss SIG P229 versus 226 police trade-in pistols. Now, a little bit more story on this. Brett has a store near him that has quite a few pistols for very nice price, around $399 for the 229, and uh, I think it was like $340 for the 226. Please, straight-ins. Go.
0: Yeah, I don't remember what it was, but um, uh, as far as discussing the merits, uh, a 226 and a 229, not a whole lot of difference. In fact, I think it's uh, a half-inch longer on the slide for 226 and that's also the length of the grip itself and i don't think it's quite half an inch but it's a little bit of difference in the grip grip's a little bigger slides a little longer on a 226 and it's a 229 uh, when i first started uh, uh carrying uh we've carried SIGs at my current department uh i ran a 226 but uh, at some point i transitioned to a 229 just because i like to carry concealed and uh I can carry a double stack 229 uh, without any issues. That's pretty much what I carry 90 to 99% of the time as a uh, 229. As far as, you know, I mean, the merits of each, you know, price wise, it sounded like you're similar. So it's, you know, basically just going to be kind of personal preference. Some people like that longer slide length. Um, you know, me personally, if, the, if the caliber is the same, I don't think the half inch is going to do you much. Different, although on my two two nine, I've got a threaded barrel, so my barrel's actually as long as a two two six barrel would be. So uh, you know, you can work around that.
1: He said they came with three magazines as well. Yeah, yeah, and you can't beat that for the price for either one of those. I don't think you're going to go wrong with either one. No, it sounded if it was like me. The... I'd buy the two two six.
0: Yeah, I mean the prices were were similar enough that it's kind of basically just personal preference. But I mean, as far as uh, you know, if you if they allow you to kind of look at look around, look at all the different guns, you know, I think we've talked about it before. You might find some, you know, some like new pistols in there because I know last time we traded some in, some of ours were spares that had never been fired, uh, that would have got sold as used. But you know, if you can do a little field strip, pop the uh, the slide off, take a look at the barrel.
1: You can have it your way. Like this receiver is much nicer than this one, so I'm gonna take this receiver and this slide. And this barrel, and
0: yeah, put it together.
1: I mean you can. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I that guess
0: They're going to like you doing that in the gun store. But you know what I was going to say is if you can, uh, if you can just basically field strip it, and even without the field strip, if you can just take the slide off and get a look at that barrel, uh, you're going to see the you know smiley shape uh, wear marks on the the top and the bottom of the barrel where the the barrel locks into the slide. You know, if you can compare two of them, and you know one of them's a lot shinier, the other one's a lot uh, got a lot more of the original black finish on it, then then that one's been shot a lot less, and that's probably the one I would go for. But you know, a lot of a lot of Le guns are pretty low mileage, depending on the department they come from, so you can get yourself a real good deal.
1: All right, thanks, Brett, and uh, enjoy your twenty percent discount at AriesGear.com. Jared Norton asked me this via Skype right before we started the show. He said. You know, it's recommended that a homeowner ensconce and call nine one one. What if you hear a noise, and you're not sure if it's a bad guy in your house or just your wife's imagination? It's a good question. When do we call nine one one? You are a police officer, John. Yes. Oh, sorry. In case you didn't know that. Yeah. For me, if I've got that feeling, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's when I call nine one one. There's a cat jumping off of a refrigerator, and then there's a door shutting, or opening, or creaking, or a voice, or, or something. You know, there's there's a little bit difference here. First, I'm going to trust my instinct, you know, more than anything else. And also, when in doubt, even the slightest bit, that it may not just be the wind, call 911. Mm-hmm. What did you say before we started this? You pay taxes, right? Yeah, yeah That's I would,
0: you know, I've gone to obviously a lot more false alarms in this respect than than actual bad guys being in the house but you know that's i mean that's the way i look at it as a you know police officer to you know the the citizens house i'm responding to is you know what this is why you pay taxes for police service so certainly never had a problem you know going and and checking out a house and you know finding out that there wasn't a gang of home invaders or anything down that it was you know uh, the wind or, you know, some kind of animal or something like that. Again, it comes down to, you know, you pay taxes. That's one of the things you're paying taxes for. So use them. I mean, if you, you know, we, we talked about ensconcing in the home and stuff and, you know, setting up your plan. If you decide to go check it out yourself and it is something, then it makes your your plan a whole lot harder to, to exercise because now you got to get somewhere else or maybe you're you're now you're actually engaged in something, and it's um, you know too late. Yeah, it's real hard to to safely you know clear rooms and stuff by yourself. I mean, there are yeah. techniques, but it's tough.
1: Turn off the ego. Turn off. You're not going to lose your manhood if it was nothing and the police show up. It's okay.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Use your tax dollars. Call the police, I would say. And, yep, there you go. Uh, in most cases. I mean, you are you might have a your own particular situation where, I don't know, you've got pets in the house and, you know, maybe you, you're familiar with the sound of them getting in the garbage downstairs. Maybe that's something different. But, again, if in doubt, call the service that you already pay for. All right. So um,
1: that's yep. about wraps up the show. All right. Once again, join us on Freedoms Network and the joint Cast group. Leave us some feedback. Talk to us. Let us know what you want to hear, uh, what you love, what you hate. Just talk to us. And again, if you're on iTunes and you have an iOS device, by all means, get the app. Uh, it's your way of donating to the show and getting something in return. Android, get them for free, the Android Marketplace. And uh, as always, find us on Facebook. Facebook's been really growing lately. And I uh, got some some good good stuff going on there. So by all means, join us on Facebook and Twitter. And Google+. Plus
0: Podcast nominations haven't closed yet, but by the time the show goes up, they will be. So uh, thanks to all those who voted on our behalf. uh, We're anxious to find out how we did.
1: So there could be some more voting involved. Uh, We'll keep you abreast of that if it happens. There definitely
0: is more voting involved. I did look at it. Along with the number of nominations, they look at some other criteria, and I think they actually Mm -hmm. listened to the podcast and if we do get nominated, there is one of the criteria of is
1: the website.
0: Yes, I saw that. And it's a good thing that you did all that work on the website because it looks excellent. That's probably the single that's probably what's going to get us an award, to be honest with you, that website, because it certainly won't be the project. Well, if we uh, could get pictures lives. for
1: all the other shows. And speaking of pictures, mm-hmm. this is your task. Gunfighter Cast listeners, we're going to really appreciate it. We need you to go to www.GunfighterCast.com and on the scroll bar at the bottom that shows all the previous shows that do not have pictures assigned to them. All the ones that don't have pictures assigned to them, you read the title of the show and email a picture that would fit of your own gun, your own equipment, or whatever you got going on. Email that to Daniel at GunfighterCast.com and I'll put your picture on that show. And that will fill all those up and it'll make us look better for the podcast awards. And... Your picture that you took will be published on GunfighterCast, if that <laughs> matters to anybody.
0: And as a bonus, uh, everybody that uh, does go to the website and looks at the pictures will get to see Tommy from the Gun Dudes in full battle regalia as well. Oh, yeah. So that, that's worth going to the website just for that alone.
1: And as always, make sure you join the NRA, the Second Amendment Foundation, uh, as well as any local groups in your area. I gave you my email a second ago, Daniel at GunfighterCast com, or you can also email John at GunfighterCast or just email us both. Make it easy on us and ask us any questions, give us any comments, uh, suggest future show topics, whatever you want to talk about.
0: And uh, Daniel, you were you were telling me about a new podcast that you uh,
1: recently discovered too, correct? Yeah, I've been talking to Paul Carlson, Paths Across, a few times on Facebook and you know some other areas, and I didn't realize it, but he does the Safety Solutions Academy podcast. If you're not listening to that, and I'll throw that in the show notes and throw it up on Facebook at some point, uh, go to the, look up Safety Solutions Academy podcast. Very good information out there. I've uh, Really enjoyed the show, and I only listened to about four episodes so far, but uh, I've been impressed with all four of them, so just wanted to share that one with you. That's all I got, John.
0: That's all I have. Uh, until next time, be safe. There you go,